0: Thank you. Second match point, it's a second
1: serve as Nadal serves. Lands this in, Djokovic goes with the backhand straight back
0: at Nadal. There's a forehand from the serve.
1: Oh, Nadal's hit it long! at the Australian Open, he's thrashed Nadal and wins for a seventh time, 6-3, 6-2, 6-3. The final is done, the race has won and history is made with Novak Djokovic winning a record seventh Australian Open title with a 28th win over Rafa Nadal, defeating the world number two in straight sets in just over two hours. What a couple of weeks it's been for the world number one and on its way reaction to the first Grand Slam of the year. You're listening to ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. And thanks, must go to Steve Pearce, courtesy of AO Radio, for that match point. Novak Djokovic winning his seventh Australian Open title. I'm very happy to say I'm alongside Jill Kravus. And, Jill, we should set the scene. It's The final is not long finished. We've made our way outside to the balcony by Media HQ, where very short or maybe not they've got a lot to do but very shortly Novak Djokovic the Australian Open champion will appear with his trophy
2: and how amazing is that yes I'm just it's good anticipation i'm waiting to see him come because i just think it was an incredible match really I, I think that's the best i've ever seen him play it was absolutely amazing
1: now last year we spoke to each other at the back of the commentary boxes but they were literally packing i remember things up, yes taking things out the way we were whispering which is why we've decided to come out and it's it's a little bit breezy temperatures are very very cool but as you said there, that that po- put Rafa Nadal has never lost in straight sets in a Grand Slam final before. Yeah, I mean, it was just amazing. I think
2: I do think Rafa got off to a little bit of a slow start, but I think that's the way um, Novak just came out. I mean, I've never seen him step up in, in the beginning of a match and hit... The way he was hitting in that match today, Novak, with the way he was striking the ball, he was hitting with such pace, taking um, Rafa's ball so early. I mean, he was out there to make a statement from the beginning, and he did. And I feel like it just took Rafa a little bit too long to adjust to that, and I think it kind of surprised him in the beginning. But Novak played
1: incredible. I think that I think a few of us quite shell shocked.
2: Yeah, I, I know that's the sense like, I think you saw everyone's face. Like some, sometimes the camera would pan in the crowd and see some of the faces, and I think when it got to Rafa's box, it, that's what it looked like. It yeah. looked like. Like everyone was kind of in
1: shock. I think we were settling in for a repeat of the 2012 final. Yeah. We were waiting for what, six hours? We got two hours and four minutes, I know, Jill. I still can't believe it. I still can't believe it's only, it's only, it's still so early tonight. What are we gonna do? I don't know. I know we thought we'd be rushing off a flight so we might not make them and then we're thinking, what are we gonna do with all this time? Just to say again that where we are is the balcony across from Media HQ. There are people running everywhere, Jill. There are camera crews, there are journalists, there are people People waiting with phones. They want to get a glimpse of Novak Djokovic because it was it was in many ways a frightening performance for the rest of the players out there.
2: Yeah, it was. And I, I think what I like too is that they showed him walking off the court. And then I like the fact that like a lot of fans can go watch in Margaret Court Arena if they just have a grounds pass. And I didn't realize that the player goes in after they win. They go into Margaret Court Arena too and kind of make the rounds and go to the DJ. I think that's a really nice touch. I think that's really cool.
1: Do we start having the greatest of all time conversation or not yet
2: i mean i think i think you have to right i mean i think i mean he's one of the most australian opens here um and i think i don't know i mean i think you have to for sure and i think that's been on the that's been on people's minds for a while now and i think um i think you definitely
1: have to have you have to mention that for sure what is scary is how do you How do you break down a Novak Djokovic who's playing like this? Because when he's playing like this, and we've seen it in years gone by, there are no weaknesses. What do you exploit?
2: That's a great question. I mean, I would have thought, I mean, before the match, I would have thought, okay, like for Rafa Nadal, I felt like he had been getting into the net a little bit more often in his matches, and I thought he was doing that exceptionally well. And I originally thought that would have been a really good play against Novak, but he didn't really get the opportunity to get in today at all because Novak was hitting with such great depth. Um, But I think, I I just, I I don't know. I think that's a great, I, I have no idea. You have to ask other coaches, <laughs> <laughs> I think.
1: Oh, that's a with the way he played
2: today, I mean, I don't, you couldn't see any weakness today though, with the way he played today. I
1: just, again, I, the word I keep coming back to is frightening. It, it is frightening. And it was he, flawless. It was flawless. It was frightening. It was devastating. I want to say at this point that tournament highlights, if you missed any bits and pieces, we're just focusing on the final for now, can be heard in the Day 14 AO show. That's the official podcast of the Australian Open. But what a marker he has laid down. Even discussions happening a couple of minutes after that win, saying, well, maybe he gets Roland Garros. Maybe Rafa Nadal doesn't get Roland Garros, which he's aiming for his 12th title. In the ATP Tennis Radio predictions, who did you go for for this title? Nadal. You went for Nadal. I
2: went for Nadal at the French as well.
1: Who did you go for at Wimbledon? Federer. Who did you go for at US Open? Sparev. Oh, wow. Okay, So, you I'm... Oh, (laughs) OK. I went for Djokovic at all four. Okay. But I still think, look, Roland Garros is a long, long, long low, worth. I want to bring, it. it's difficult almost this performance to analyze because it was so perfect. It so was perfect. Maybe we spent a couple of seconds on Rafa Nadal. What, he looked shell-shocked at times. And you mentioned there was a slightly slow start. Was there anything else you picked up from his game that maybe could have explained this straight set scoreline.
2: I think his ball was landing extremely short, and I think that's the was something I noticed right away in the first set and a half to two sets was Nadal's ball was so short, and I think it just gave the opportunity of Djokovic to step up and just take control of a lot of the points. So that was, and he wasn't getting a huge first serve percentage, and I also feel like. Um, they came. I can't remember when it was in the match, but they came up with a stat with the unforced errors where Nadal had like 17 and Djokovic had four, and that's and Nadal is usually the one that has four, and so that took me really by surprise. So I mean, I think look, I think Djokovic was flawless, he was relentless, but I do feel like Nadal had a really off day. I, I mean, not really
1: off, but he had an off day. Straight sets win for Novak Djokovic, another match that was played today, I believe you were keeping an eye on this on the men's doubles final. Yeah, I saw the whole doubles final, it was a great final,
2: I thought Barry and Mahout played exceptionally well. Um, yeah. Continent and Piers, I felt like they've been playing together for a while, as well as um, also Eber and Mahout had been playing together for a while. But I just felt like they just looked like they had been playing together longer. They just looked like the stronger team. They communicated really well. I thought there were some points that were just absolutely exceptional from both teams. And every one of those exceptional points went in the favor of Eber and Mahout. They were just so solid in those mentally tough points. And that's what got them through the match, I think. And
1: that was the missing Grand Slam for the I French know. Pair. Now
2: they've got all four. That's amazing.
1: I think what we should do, because around us I can see more and more photographers, more and more people with phones. This wind's picking up a little bit. Trains are arriving. They might even start dismantling this balcony. Probably. At some <laughs> <point. You never laughs> it know. happens it, fast. The things that happen. So I think if, if it's all right with you, because there is still so much to talk about, that we should just maybe go inside and find somewhere a little bit quieter. Perfect. Let's do it, Gigi. There's just a year to go now until the first ever ATP Cup, a fantastic new team event that will see 24 nations compete in three Australian cities across 10 days.
0: Everyone on the tour wanted more of this type of stuff. You know, they wanted to be with their teammates. There's nothing better than playing for your country, going out there and and playing against the other best players in the world.
3: We're gonna start off the ATP World Tour calendar with this massive event. And we're talking, you know, 70 to 90 players, the top world's best are gonna play here for 750 ranking points.
0: It's an extremely exciting time for us to have these guys to play alongside in an event like this. is a pretty special opportunity and I think uh, we'll hopefully all be able to thrive in that kind of a situation. The ties are gonna be three
1: matches and the deciding you know, Pivotal Rubber will be the, the doubles. So it's always an important match. The doubles always had you know, amazing uh, atmospheres, crowd, crowd interaction.
3: Everyone is excited, playing for our countries. Another event to start the year here in Australia, playing uh, for the countries, and and I'm really excited to
0: to be here next year. It's a magnificent opportunity for the players, because not only are they going to get to go again in all these great cities we have in Australia, they're going to be competing for a lot of prize money, $22 million, and then be able to come then down to Melbourne and, uh, and finish up with the Grand Slam, the Australian Open.
3: The players ask for this event and they wanted an, an ATP owned event to start the season off, which we delivered.
0: I'm super excited. Um, when an event like this you know, gets introduced into the calendar, I'm always really looking forward to it. It's going to be an awesome event. This
1: is ATP Tennis Radio. We're in the Tennis HQ, which is where the media are housed. And you've already noticed that some books and cushions that have been here have been taken and you yourself eyeing up, at the end of this podcast, a couple of cushions to take.
2: I do. I really want these pillows. I think they're so cool. <laughs> they're like little Melbourne pillows. They're good souvenirs. But I think they'll look really weird in my house, because they're very appropriate, obviously, for this atmosphere. But anyway, I like
1: them, so but I was going to ask about them. Yeah, I was going to say, being Jill Craver, she's not just going to put them in her oversized handbag. No. She is going to find someone. I've already asked about them. And you've already asked about them, and yes. they're getting back to you. But to be honest, everyone's now running around. There are flights to catch, things going on, so... I th- I can see those cushions going home with you. But that's the end of a grand slam, that's what happens. Things just... Disappear. Just disappear. <laughs> and they disappear. But we thought this was the best place to come because Tennis HQ is a permanent structure. So we don't feel we're going to be picked up and yes. carried off somewhere. We've got so much to talk about. But before we move away from the final or one of the players in the final, I'd like to speak about Nadal specifically... The serve jill it was something that people were talking about coming into this tournament it's been something that's been a discussion on more than one occasion within the media rooms within the journalists and i know that someone actually came to speak to you that was going to write a piece about it so can you break it down what have you learned what have you seen what do we know
2: yeah it's interesting because i think there's a lot of people that are wanting to know about the nadal serve and what changed and i know a few people asked Moya specifically, about what changed. And, and they were pretty um, private about it. They're pretty secretive about it, which is understandable. You know, I mean, you don't want to start revealing everything that you're working on in practice and stuff like that. But yeah, I spoke to someone yesterday. It's been a constant um, topic these last couple of weeks, of you, as you mentioned. But um, someone yesterday approached me and was writing a specific piece about it and just wanted my feedback on what I felt like had changed. So I actually went back and I found some videos online that actually broke down his serve from 1998 till 2019 every single you, year you did you walked past me and that's what I was doing, doing.
0: Okay.
2: Um, and it broke it went through every single year and sometimes two or three times a year because sometimes one year might might have um, covered like three of the four slams or every slam and it was actually really interesting to watch it um, side by side and kind of edited that way it's actually changed quite a bit throughout his career In the beginning, I noticed that it was very, I don't, very hitchy. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but there was like, um, it was, it was like in different parts, like it didn't flow. So when your arm goes back, sometimes it would stop at different periods of time. And so, and we would say that's like, there are little hitches in his arm when he takes his arm back. And so that can really cause problems with um, getting the momentum for your arm to go to the ball and to get that power. So it kind of like, if you don't have that flow and you don't have that good dynamic, it can take away some power on your serve, it, regardless if you have a good wrist snap or not. I mean, I'll kind of shorten it. So, from specifically from last the last couple of years to this year, um, what I noticed was that he he starts with his hands a little bit lower. He used to t- start with them a little bit closer to his chest when he started. His not up to his chest, but more to his a little bit above his waist. Um, and now he starts his hands a little bit lower, and so there's not quite. Um, he doesn't have to go as far to keep that smoothness with his backswing, and and it, and it flows a lot more. So I, I noticed in the past. I felt like his arm and legs don't kind of go together. And so when your body, your body is works best as when it's um, flowing as, as a unit. And so it wasn't quite flowing together, the arms and the legs in a, as a unit. And that in itself takes away some pace. So now everything kind of flows more together. I hope this is making sense. So everything kind of flows more together where the arms and legs are kind of working together. So when the arms go back, the legs are going down at the same time. And so that, that flow and that rhythm, will allow you to get more more pace and more wrist snap and everything Your everything will flow better as a unit as a whole as your whole body another word that might be good to describe it was like his motion was really abrupt so it kind of happened fast and now it's more like together it goes slow and then it's more together which is
1: much better and we've got an awful lot to get through. Now, I'll mention a handful of names, but if there's someone I haven't mentioned that you want to talk about, and I'll get okay. highlights at the end, then just feel free to sort of jump in and shout out the name. But we'll start, it won't always be like this, but let's start in order in terms of let's look at the other semi-finalists. And let's start with Stefano Sitsipas. Now, we know you are the established leader of the... Sits a pass, I appreciate that. Been, Gigi, there have been lots of other people. Most recently, we were with Mark Woodford, yes, and he said, You know, I'm a big fan, and you were like, Whoa, 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 whoa. I was watching him. Yeah. Yeah. He's had, at a Greek restaurant here in Melbourne, he's had a Tsitsipas Souvlaki that's now on the menu and there's lots on social... He he loves Melbourne. And I was reading some stats ahead of doing his semi-final about I think there's 162,000 people of Greek or Greek Cypriot heritage in Melbourne alone and half a million in Australia. The support was phenomenal, as was Stefano Tsitsipas.
2: Yeah, well, the people I stay with, who I've stayed with, now for 20 years here in Melbourne they they told me that it's the second largest largest Greek community outside of Athens which is incredible so and you can hear them when they're here (laughs) or you could hear them when they were here watching Sitsa Pass but yeah I mean what what an incredible tournament and one of his goals this year was to get the semifinals of a Grand Slam so he's gonna have to kind of relook at look at that list again and, and maybe redo his goals but just an absolute absolutely incredible tournament I think the fact that he beat Federer at a Grand Slam is just an incredible feat by itself and um, I think he can take a lot away from this tournament I know he's probably disappointed with the way he performed against Nadal but um, I think that's a re- that's probably one of the toughest matchups for his game style I would say and um, but other than I mean he's going to be really happy with the way he performed here. I mean, he just played some really good matches, and I think he fought really hard, and to have this performance
1: at such a young age in a Grand Slam is, is a huge feat. Is there anything you see at the moment that is missing from the Sitsa Pass game?
2: I don't necessarily think anything's missing. I think, talking specifically about that match again, the Sitsipas Nadal. I think the fact that he, what you and I just mentioned, that he might be looked a little bit lost, and I think in those situations, that can't happen, right? I mean, I, I know that he was confused about what to do and he didn't really exactly know. And by the third set, he sort of, it almost looked like he was a little bit embarrassed because he couldn't quite figure things out. And I think that's what the best players in the world do is that, like, even though they might feel lost, they never, one, look like they're lost and they're always fighting and saying, okay, there's there still could be a chance, there still could be a chance. Where I feel like in the end, Sitsipas was like, I... I don't know. And you could see him sort of just retreat and be like, okay, I'm now I'm just waiting for the, for the end of the match. And that's where I feel like the improvement could be. All right, now no, just, I, you hardly see that happen with him. So that's unfair to say to him because like, I rarely see him look like that. I think that's the first time I've ever seen him look like that. But um, that's something that I feel like he could probably learn from that match against Nadal.
1: His mother and father coached him when he was young because his mother uh, represented Russia in the Fed Cup, was a very good player, father Apostolos, is the main coach, travels with him. Also there, Patrick Moritoglu, trained at the academy in Nice. Maybe again, it's too early to say, will, maybe not now, but will he need to bring someone else in? We've seen with Sasha Zverev, and Lendels, in to work alongside his father, Alexander Zverev Sr. Do you see that as something he will need to do to get some external input, or you wouldn't make any changes right now?
2: Um, I don't think it's... an I think it's kind of jumping the gun right now. I think this is his first first huge result at a slam i was i mean he did he did pretty well at the u.s open and um but i think i think that's early too early to say like i think this was a great run for him and i think if he can carry momentum from this and see how he does um in the next couple years i think you know i think that's a little bit early to kind of jump the gun and be like okay now we need someone right away because obviously the team is working extremely well
1: someone who did make Changes was the other semi-finalist, Luca Pui. Now he had been with Emmanuel Plonk since a very Rave. young age. They got on very well. It was a solid team. But his results from 2016, when he got to the Wimbledon, US Open quarterfinals, yeah. then it really dipped. And I remember watching some of his matches, and it, it, he didn't look. He wasn't enjoying himself out on court. He made the decision to switch up the team. He brought in Amelie Maresmo, the former coach of Andy Murray. And one thing that has stuck with me from what Luca Pui said on court and very much documented, speaking about Marisma and said, look, it doesn't matter, male or female, if you're right for the job. For me, was she's made me fall in love with the sport once more. I We work hard, but I enjoy tennis again.
2: Yeah, and I think, I mean, that just goes to show you how much the off-court means when you're playing on court because there were instances in my career as well where it showed on the court if I wasn't enjoying practicing or if I wasn't enjoying the whole process of of fighting and working hard and then, you know, getting out there and, and competing to the best of your ability. And sometimes it's really hard because, I mean, it's not like you wake up every day and you feel 100% amazing. It's, you know, it's waking up and even if you're feeling just 50% okay, you love it so much that you actually, like, are able to figure it out and fight it out. But um, obviously it was a great coaching change. I think, you know, the, I was talking with someone yesterday who was saying, you um, you know, he hired Moresmo and it didn't really happen um, at, the, at the previous tournaments leading up to the Australian Open. And I'm like, and and sometimes sometimes it doesn't happen right away. I mean, I, I'm actually I actually think here at the Australian Open that that's that's pretty amazing that it was the semifinals for such a such a new partnership with with Moresmo and that, that doesn't mean that it can't happen fast that just means like you know when you when you bring in a new coach or you bring in a new support team there's going to be new information there's going to be new stuff that you have to work on that you might necessarily be uh, that you might not necessarily be comfortable with so there's going to be changes that maybe not feel great in the beginning but you have to be willing to take the risk and take the chance. And I think I think that's an incredible job that not only pre-hired Marismo for women coaches in general, because I think that's great, but um, the fact that he trusted her and like basically delved in and said, okay, I'm doing this, let's do it, and he listened to her. And he got to the point where, like, okay, he was one able to handle pressure moments better. He used to get a little bit nervous in a lot of tight situations. He not only handled those moments better, he he basically um, got to semifinals here. We he had never won a match before here in Melbourne, and that, you know, was in the back of his head too. He's like, okay, tournaments stick in your head. Like, I just don't perform well here, you know, and it, you end up accepting it. But no, he let that go. So there were so many great things for him at this tournament, and I know he didn't perform as well as he would have against Djokovic but he's going to take so much away from this I'm really happy for him because he's such a nice guy and we, we know how talented he is and um, so I'm really I'm hoping that he just
1: continues this momentum. Two great wins against Chorich and Raonic for him Yeah As you say It was always going to be A really tough ask But hopefully The rankings gone up I think it went up to 17 At that time The live rankings And, and he can build on that Now I'm just going to Sort of throw names out We're not going okay. in any order I'm just going to have names at you And I want to bring in Sasha Zverev In here for a couple of reasons Because He's always found it difficult At the Grand Slams He finally got to the second week At Roland Garros Last year And everyone kept saying Okay now it's going to happen Ivan Lendl came on board Okay, now it's going to happen. Now it's going to happen. And and it hasn't and again it I think it's the way it doesn't happen at grand slams. It it's not so so tight towards the end. It can almost be a spectacular collapse at times. And some people used to say it was like physical issue because he was growing. Now more and more people say it's the mental side of the game.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't think it's physical. I think um just yeah, the
1: lasting the five hours right over the, the
2: and that's what a lot of people are saying is can he last the two weeks three out of five sets and I know that's been a lot of the talk but I, to me to me I feel like it's a little bit more mental for him I think now it's now he's thinking about it a lot more because I think he thinks okay there's a lot of expectations on his shoulders and he's he's quote-unquote supposed to win a grand slam and he's the one that's maybe one of the favorites to win, and all the eyes are on him. So I think for me it's more in the back of his head that it's a little bit more mental that – he maybe he should have one by now or whatever, but I mean he still has a lot of time and um, this Lendl coaching partnership is relatively new, so he has to give that at least some time. And I know Lendl, is, he's mentioned a few times, of that Lendl is like he has a lot more intensity than what he's used to bringing to the practice court. So that's going to take a little bit of an adjustment period as well. But I mean I, I think there's no doubt that he's going to get a Grand Slam. It's just I think he has to get over the. Over the hump of thinking, okay, there's
1: all this expectation on him to do it. And maybe the rise of Stefano Sitsapas now. And a couple of people have even hinted that they think he may be better than Sasha Zverev. So maybe this is the little nudge that Sasha Zverev needs because he's no longer the young kid out in front mixing it with the old guard. He's now got Stefano Sitsapas nipping at his heels.
2: I think maybe. I think it depends how Zverev takes it um in my opinion i mean that's that's the mentality again it depends if he takes it um as something that inspires him to do better and to like you know like no i'm going to be the one that gets it or something or if it's something where you know again where he adds more of that expectation on his shoulders or not so it's going to be depend how he it depends on he how he views it and how he takes it i think
1: it's going to be fascinating
2: but i think there's a whole group that's fascinating to me like the whole there's a lot of guys coming up that I think are amazing that could give that push, not only Sisapest but Shapovalov, Hachinoff. I think there the Tiafo, I think there's a great group coming up that I think, um, inspire one another. I mean, I I even read an article of Shapovalov saying how much Tiafo inspires him just because not only are they great friends, but they kind of like inspire each other and, and root root for each other. And I think that's so, he- I think
1: that's healthy. I think that's great. Even though you're going to be competing against each other, I think it's awesome. It's very, very healthy. But the the man that took out Zverev was one of, if we had the, the current big guys, there's a sort of middling generation of the Nishikori, Dimitrovs, and Raonic. And it was 6-1, 6-1, the first two sets of favor right? of Raonic. It was slightly tighter in that third set. But I thought Raonic, this partnership with Goran Ivanišević is so good. Looked really good through this tournament. Yeah, I mean, and
2: from the very first match when he played Kurios, because that's not an easy first round. And I know Kurios depends on who's going to show up with curios and stuff like that. But from from that first round, I was like, wow, he looks Raonic looks good because we always knew he could serve good, and we always knew he had a huge forehand. But I I feel like the thing that Um, I noticed the most was was how well he was moving at the baseline. Like, he really improved his movement, especially towards his backhand. Because normally, if the rally... If he stayed at the baseline, the rally got pretty long. He would... You were kind of thinking, okay, he's going to... The longer it goes, the more it's not going to be to his advantage. Um, But I felt like he was moving extremely well and even a little... And and faster. And I was like, wow, he looks looks really good. I was actually surprised he lost to Pui, but... Pui also, as we mentioned, played some unbelievable tennis. And the thing, the thing with Pui and Raonic, that match, was Pui just returned insane. Like, he just returned so well. And everyone had been struggling with Raonic serve in this tournament until Pui came along.
1: <laughs> it feels so long ago that we were talking about Andy Murray his pre-tournament press conference and then losing to Roberto Bautista Agut and then poor Roberto Bautista Agut in the second round faced John Millman. So for two matches running largely the crowd didn't want him to progress but he progressed and he kept progressing and I think so nice to see him doing so well here at Melbourne Park.
2: Yeah and I think it's interesting because when you see the celebration and stuff like that for someone who's been on the tour for a while and who's a little bit older to me it just shows you what they've done in the off season, how much they've worked hard in the off season. And to me that's that was the emotion that came out with Batista Gut because you could see like how much it meant to him to get this far. And for me it was basically sort of it showed me where his mind was and what he had been working on in the off season. I know that might sound strange, but like when someone is that someone that doesn't show that emotion, then all of a sudden shows that emotion, it for me it kind of showed like, oh my God, he really put so much effort into the offseason and got himself into a mental place where he's like, this is going to be my year to make
1: a huge push. If we're talking about emotion and Spanish players, yes, you know exactly yes, how I'm going to I make do. you. Know. Pablo Carreño-Busta. <laughs> yes. The match with Kenishakuri, over five hours, five sets, came down to a super try break. He was 8-5 to the good when it all turned on its head due to a decision that he felt unfair. He then went on to lose the match, left the court, threw the racket back. He did, we should say, immediately at this point, for people who are hearing about it this for the first time, he was in tears in his press conference, and he said, it's not like me, I'm sorry, there were so many emotions out. Look, this was for a place in a Grand Slam quarter final, right. but your heart went out to him, because he is one of the softer-spoken, mild-mannered right. players. But again, it shows you how much this means to them.
2: Yeah, and just how much hard work all these players have put in that's what you don't get to see which is unfortunate you don't get to see everything that's put in and the sacrifices that that have been made to get to this point in your career and I think that all comes to fruition in those moments and really like I mean for me like because I've been through all that you I, I sort of like right away give the player the benefit of the doubt because I'm like I know what it takes to get to this point and to like be so close and then have that be the issue or have that be the, um, have that get in the way of whether that that affects the match or not. I mean, that's just so unfortunate that that happened. And so I can understand why that might, that might basically come to like a huge emotional moment for him because he's not like that at all. I mean, I've never seen him have an emotional outburst like that in my life. And then Kane
1: Shakuri, another one who doesn't express his emotions that much. Boy, I mean, how many times do we talk about Kane Shakuri? being in the mix for these Grand Slam tournaments and it comes down to the body and will the Nishikori body last? This tournament, the worst person to have to play all that tennis was Nishikori. Three of his first four matches went to five sets. I think he'd spent about 18 sets and 15 hours on court and he had to retire. I think it was 6-1, 4-1 down. The Nishikori body said, absolutely not. And again, your heart goes out to him because I'm sure the mind was willing, but the body said, enough. And unless for Nishikori he can just... Blow the person off the court, then that's
2: that's going to be tough, and he's not going to blow Djokovic off the court, this for sure, <laughs> because Djokovic is just going to make you play, especially if Djokovic knows you're injured, then he's just never going to miss a ball. It's so we're just going to move a little bit
1: more. Yeah, exactly.
2: Um, so that's tough, and I think Nishikori knew it. He's like, you know, that's why he retired. He he may have tried to stay out there, but I mean, I feel for him because he's dealt with so many injuries throughout his career, and um, I almost feel like there's a part of him mentally that. Like it's going to be a struggle to go through two weeks in these Grand Slams if he just physically doesn't feel like he can last
1: the whole time. It's another thing I was thinking talking about physically lasting: Djokovic, Nadal, Federer. I know he lost before that. Murray and the pot—they're used to it six, seven matches in a row, that's fine because that's what you do to win a Grand Slam. And so I was looking at some of these players thinking, they're just not used to it, playing deep, deep matches, turning it around, recovering, getting back up. Yeah. They will get used to it, of course, when they get more experience. But I felt that was another advantage the more experienced players had. They know how to deal with this tournament and the pressures of this many matches in this space of time. Well, I think not only the pressures, I think just the
2: management of the two weeks. weeks—and And it's tough because you have weird times where sometimes you're finishing at like three in the morning or whatever and then you have to like figure out how to manage the next day and and then it's just a weird day because you're waking up at like one in the afternoon and it's just so it's strange just you have to, so that I mean that might be thrown in too because you have no idea what you when you might finish so and the temperature is 45 degrees and the temperature, outside exactly and so it, it's about recovering but it's about also managing the days in between that you have and um so that's also a learning experience I mean Personally, I had to um, figure... It took me a while to figure out how to deal with playing night matches because I was like a morning person. I would have loved to play first or second and then be done. And then all of a sudden I'm playing these night matches and I'm like groggy and tired at like five in the afternoon. And so I had to figure out how to manage that so I would be alert and ready to go at 7 p.m. And that was a learning experience. So every, I mean, it's not gonna take that long for these players t- to learn and to manage that time. But um, for the guys out of five set, it's like, you ha- it's physically demanding and you have to figure out how to push yourself and train yourself to a stage where you can sustain that but make sure you're not also getting injured. So it's a very, you have to learn how to balance it. It's going to be tough. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, I used to practice three out of five set matches just for physical fitness sometimes. not Obviously, I'm not playing three out of five matches, but just to so I
1: could last a lot longer, and I'm sure these guys are too. Francis Tiafoe, after his match, his win against Grigor Dimitrov, I want to talk about in a second, and going into the Nadal match, he said on court when he was being interviewed what are you going to do how are you going to celebrate your birthday it's your 21st birthday he said I'm going to sleep he said <laughs> he said Nadal is going to make me move so much yeah. I'm just going to go to sleep and he even spoke about it and he, he said it is difficult and and you are tired and you're having to do this quick turnaround and then there's Nadal the other right. side of the net yeah. he's not going to drop off for a point he's not going to lose concentration and I spoke to Chanda Rubin who I've been working with and was in his front row of his box for two or three matches she said it was so emotional but it was so good for him and yeah. this is the moment we've I feel we've been talking about and Nick Lester member of ATP tennis radio team a few years ago he said for me it's Francis TFO he's the one to look at then I spoke to a couple of people here and they said for me they thought there wasn't an obvious weapon for TFO they of course he's very athletic but they didn't see the one weapon where he would hurt people but through this tournament they've changed their mind and it's it's the TFO package isn't it it's it's the athleticism the excitement the all-round game that has got a lot of people talking, and maybe now he can use this run here to push himself on.
2: Well, it's interesting because there are so many,
1: a lot of players that don't have like one huge weapon.
2: Like, it's hard to say, Okay, it's hard to specify that player and be like, okay, they have a weapon. But you're right, it's it's the whole thing. It's his fact that um, it's his variety. If it, it's his athleticism, like you said, it's his quickness, I mean, he's so fast and it's just the it's it's the different kind of balls um, that he brings cuz sometimes it's a slower ball sometimes it's faster ball so it's that variety and the change of rhythm that can really be effective as well so it might not be something obvious that you see but it's something but it's very smart and it's very clever that he does. So it's it's he's so much fun to watch, and he's just got a lot of energy. I mean, the way he walks around the court, and <laughs> smiles, and um, he he's such a great guy. But yeah, he's
1: definitely one. He's definitely one to watch. But I think there's a lot.
2: The lo- there's a lot to watch.
1: Well, another name. Let me quickly throw in then as we're talking. One to watch: Daniel Medvedev. Yes, had a great start to the year. He's this trio of Russians: um, Karen Khachanov, Andrei Rublev, who had the setback with the lower back stress fracture last year, yeah. and Daniel Medvedev, who hits the ball so flat. I personally think he's he's quite fun to watch. He his He's grown on me a little bit. In and the his, beginning I was
2: kind of like, Oh, okay. But <laughs> now he's grown on me a little bit actually. And
1: his coach Shield Savar has said that he travels with a mental coach now because there's a lot of talk about his outbursts on court and sometimes he could really overreact and then the game would slip away but that seems to be what he got married last year. He's just seems to have settled down a bit and he caused he caused Djokovic a little bit yes. of a problem. And He's another one of those guys that is starting to believe in his ability.
2: Yeah. Oh, especially physically against Djokovic. I mean, I know that was kind of a muggy night, but... It was a 45-shot um, y- rally. Yeah, but to get Djokovic... I mean, because I mean, they were both exhausted, really. And to get <laughs> Djokovic to the point where he <laughs> looks kind of exhausted in points is not an easy thing to do. So, I mean... But so, so that's a great example, actually. That's a good comparison to what we were talking about earlier about Sitsipas um, playing it all, how like in the third set he just kind of like looked lost. Yes. Like I don't feel like you ever got that sense from Medvedev. He I might just not, got the
1: feeling he was exhausted. <laughs>
2: he might not have thought that he would have won that match, but he was in it the whole time. And yeah. I think that that's the point I was trying to make earlier is like even though you might think you might lose six love, you're in it the whole time, in it for every point. And um that was another another thing I wanted to expand on about the three out of five sets is it's not only physical, it's mentally. To mental mentally focus for three out of five sets is just so exhausting, and to be able to do that for so long is um incredible, right there. But I think to me, Medvedev was willing to stay in it, even though he looked exhausted. It's not like he's gonna, I don't feel like he's gonna give away kind of looks three exhausted points, he's gonna stay in from it the very start That's true, matches. that is true. I mean, he I never, agree with you. he
1: never sort of springs out onto right the court, does he? Right, no, Which, I imagine if you're playing, you're thinking. Is he really tired? Because he looked like that. I know. He looked like that a while ago. Yeah, and then all of a sudden he has a 45-shot rally. <laughs> and then you're, thinking, <laughs> you're
2: like, he's still there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's And that goes a long way. I mean, that's that's jo- what Djokovic does to his opponents. I mean, he's not going away. He's not going to give you hardly any free points. Flipping back to
1: the the middle gen, we've talked about Nishkori, Ranich, Gregor Dimitrov, Andre Agassi, they seem to get on really well. It seems to have settled in with, with Dani Velverdu as well because... Obviously, have to work with the current coach. That seems to be a nice little trio. Lost to Francis and um, It's it's going to be interesting. Of course, you've got to give, as you said earlier, a new coach a little bit of time to see how it settles in. Talk about Maresmo and Pui. But it seems one of the key things, I imagine, with a new coach is you buy in to what they want to do. And it felt maybe that Agassin Djokovic, they seem to butt heads a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it feels, from what Dimitrov said he, They get on very well. He spent time in Vegas over the off-season. And and I know it's it feels so stop-start when we talk about Dmitrov. He has a breakthrough. Oh, he goes a little yeah. bit backwards. And he does it again. So I think this year, with the old guard, if I can call them that, largely still there, and the young guns going, hang on a second, we're coming, it's going to be really interesting to see where he fits in.
2: Yeah, I agree with that, yeah. And you almost, like... It's funny the way you describe it, how you said, okay, I'm doing well, and then all of a sudden not doing well, and then doing well, and I almost feel like that's sort of an indication of his mentality. Like, I feel like he has a great result. He's like, okay, this is it. I'm gonna make a breakthrough. And then as soon as he thinks that, then it like, backtracks and I think as soon as you you start thinking that basically that's you know expecting yourself to do well and I and and I I don't I don't want to put it lightly how hard it is to deal with that pressure when you're putting all those expectations on your shoulders it is it is so tough and if you're somehow able to let that go a little bit it does release something for you mentally.
1: Is there anyone else you'd like to talk about?
2: I think Chorich is another one to continue to pay attention to. I mean, we, we touched on briefly because he had lost to Puy. You mentioned that Puy played a really good match against him. But he's another one, I think, you know, he had such a good year last year. And it'll be interesting to see how, you know, he deals with that successful year because now this year he will have a lot of points to defend and stuff like that. But he's another one I think we should continue to pay attention to. We haven't Shapovalov, spoken. I oh, think. Yes. Shapovalov is another one that I think... He's a youngster that could make a huge push. Um, Do you know who we
1: haven't spoken about? Federer. <laughs> exactly. It's incredible. We have got towards the end of our look back and it and it hasn't come out. And, and he's playing the
2: clay court season. And he's playing. Year. I think that's
1: the thing. He said, I don't feel I need to skip it again. I feel I need to. Yeah. So people are wondering, will it just be Roland and Will that hinder him going in if he has a deep run at Roland Garros, right. will it hinder him going into Wimbledon where many people are thinking if he's going to win another slam that's where it is other people at the time saying against Sitsipas. once it was interesting, once it got to the fourth set a few people around me said Sitsipas wins this now and I was like why and they said because Roger Federer at 37 having come through the tournament this is tough now, Sitsipas at 20 has to push her and win this do you feel it's going to be tougher and tougher for Federer with the rigors of a Grand Slam to be picking up titles? I do think it's going to be a
2: little bit tougher. I think, um, in my opinion, I think the reason he's playing the clay is because this is obviously just speculation, but I feel like he probably thinks he needs more match play. Because um, a lot of times it's important. I mean, I think he didn't play the clay in the previous just to. Um, you know, he was getting older and he was trying to manage his schedule a little bit, especially with some injuries that he was dealing with. So he wanted to make sure that he was healthy. And now that he seems to be, um, healthy or haven't heard anything, heard anything that's bothering him, I think, you know, he probably feels like he needs a little bit more match play, more mat- match, toughness and to get through it. And I was talking with my, um, the coach that traveled with me for a long time. And he was saying that, um, from the, vi- he, it, it's interesting because I didn't get this impression. I didn't actually see the first set of a pass. And he was saying from the first set, he didn't feel like Federer was going to win. Which I found that interesting because I was like, well, I didn't really see the first set. But he just felt like he looked Federer. Looked, he, he felt like he thought Federer looked off. Okay. Um, and he just felt like um, he said even after Federer won the first set, he didn't think he was going to win.
1: Well, I think definitely by the fourth the start of the fourth whereas in past years yeah it would have still he somehow maybe finds a way through towards him finds a way through We yeah. thought no no I think if Sitsipas can hold it together and there's the mental side can he close it out yeah can he actually get the job done if he can stay strong then then he has to do this now now we're yeah. into the fourth set
2: I, I just think um as far as my coach's opinion he was kind of like well his forehand looked off and it, he feels like this is from what I... from Because I actually thought it was a really good match from what I saw. I didn't necessarily feel like Federer looked that off. I thought Sissipas played really, really great. Um, but he felt like you can tell a little bit when Federer isn't quite moving that well to the forehand side. And he was shaking quite a bit on the forehand side. And so to him, that's a little bit of an indication of where he is mentally. So that was that was obvious to him. I didn't see the first set so I can't I can't uh, comment on that, but um I think he does need that match play. I think that's why he's playing the clay. I think he just wants to get out on the court and get a few more matches and I, I don't I think he would be really happy if he won Roland Garros, but I think he's getting the match play on the clay to gear up for Wimbledon. That's my take.
1: I cannot wait for twenty nineteen I think with this sort of clashes. We're of, already in twenty
2: nineteen. <laughs> but as in this
1: feels like this is the first big step. It's gonna be really to go interesting. Slam, I think it's really fun. The it's clashes really of fun. generations. And I just want to briefly step away from the singles into the doubles, because it was really good to see Bob and Mike Bryan back together. Now in terms of the run, they were the fourth seeds, they got to the quarterfinals. And Bob Bryan was absolutely delighted to be back in action. And the weekly ATP tour uncovered magazine show. They spent some time with him in the off season along with his wife Michelle and twin brother Mike. Oh my goodness, just landed on it and then whenever he pushed off it was... Yeah, it's uh, that right hip area which for the left-hander you really
0: throw into the court on serve and then snap down quickly on it. This is tough to watch. I felt this pain in my hip uh, in Monte Carlo and it just built with each match. I didn't even think about it. Went home, I thought I'd just get a core zone shot, go back to Madrid. Then I started hearing crunching in my hip, and, and then by the finals, crunching was pretty loud. And I, I hit a serve and I came down. I, what I think happened is I chipped the, the hip socket.
3: Bob's hip was steadily declining over the last three years, I'd say, um, with numerous visits to the doctor, lots of injections, just trying to keep it um, going so that he could at least just get on the court and play. And then of course, in, in Madrid, that was kind of like the final straw. We were home, the kids and I, we were watching from the couch the finals of Madrid. It was really hard to see. doesn't matter how far I was, I felt that pain from the couch. And so Michaela and I just looked at each other and we just started crying.
0: It was just bone on bone. Uh, no cartilage left. Tried to rehab it. Uh, it. Didn't happen. So I went in to get it scoped. Just a little cleanup. The guy said, "This is un- unscopable. You know, you're gonna have to get a hip replacement." So two days later, I was knocked out, and they were uh, sawing away and, and doing, uh, cutting me open. I felt better mentally because I had like a path. I-, I knew what I what I was up against. I knew that I, I had to rehab this thing, and my doctor said. Possibly six, seven months before I'd be at, out on the court. And I'm going down to Australia um, a little before five months.
3: Even a surgeon is completely surprised. Um, the surgeon, you know, is amazing. He sends him text messages like, I can't believe what you're doing. Like, I've never seen anything like this.
0: Now with the surgery, I'm just basically warming up really, really well. No, dude. Oh, yeah, man. Look who's here. Can I join the party? What <laughs> do you want? <laughs> feels like we kind of were fitting in right where we left off. He's done an extraordinary job of rehabbing every day for the last few months. He's hitting the ball super sweet. I mean, I don't know how he did it. Six months off and um, hitting it like he never dropped the racket. But I felt like we kind of blew it out for five or six years. We had some epic, epic years. We achieved a lot of our goals. I felt like uh, going into those uh, 16 and 17 years, we were a little complacent. Our friendship kind of wavered. Those tough times, and then um, you know, I went through this tough times. I went through a divorce, and he uh, had my back uh, right from you know the get go. He took me into his house, uh, put me in Michaela's bedroom, and uh, we had a great you know off season in um, in December 2017, and came into 2018 uh, with with really lofty goals. We sat down, wrote down everything we wanted to achieve and then just went after it 100%. We were on on a great path in in 2018. Um, Our results were improving, and we were winning tournaments again, Uh, big tournaments. We felt like we were building to winning winning a slam and and finishing the year number one. Uh, Unfortunately, a sniper got me. I went down with a hip injury. It's really tough seeing your brother go down and being in a lot of pain. He kept saying, you know, I'm gonna try to come back for the French, I'm gonna try to come back for Wimbledon. So I went out on tour, Grabbing, uh grabbed Sam Querrey for the French and got Jack Sock for Wimbledon um, in hopes that I would stay sharp and wait for him to come back in the summer. Luckily, I had a little success with Jack. He won the World Tour Finals, finished number one in the world as an individual. It was like he was showing the rest of the tour like the Brian could still do it. And those were the goals that we set. Even though he is the one that actually went and achieved the latter part of that goal sheet, I felt like I was right there with him.
3: Yes! Oh! Oh! Oh
0: oh. I, I gained confidence from it, I seriously did, even though I wasn't hitting the ball. Just him showing that he it was possible um, this late in our career, um, I gained confidence from that. The win with Jack was awesome, but uh, I'd rather look over and see my twin brother uh, holding the trophy with him. It was a t- completely different experience, you know, uh, just missing my brother. We're always a package deal, we're on tour together, we're eating together, practicing together and uh, i feel like i was just uh, on my own island Uh, even though i was playing with jack we we had two different schedules we would win big tournament but we'd fly off to different cities sharing these tiles with bob and these experiences was what made double so fun for us bob's starting to um, you know kind of follow my path i've been doing this for for years (laughs) and kind of um it's more like prehab and just really making sure the body's warm and then cooled down and stretched and and now he's He's finally joining the party. I was doing it, but I might have started a little too late. (laughs) Unfortunately, until Mike gets a hip replacement or has surgery, it's, I told you so, I told you so. Let's go play some tennis. So this is, yeah, this is the day job. Um, Getting back into it. We're starting to play some sets now. Um, Seeing how it feels, the the injury feeling in in, uh, full competition. But uh, so far, so good. And uh, we we'll are hopefully carry some momentum from today down to Australia. Starts right here. This off season has been great so far. I've been going since early October. We really feel like we start the season hotter uh, when we're together. Yeah, it's great. It feels like we kind of, um, we're fitting in right where we left off. Happy to be joining forces with him in 19. I think he's ready to roll. Okay, so we're gonna go uh, to the gym now. We're a little bit late, but uh, yeah, let's keep it going. Come on. And how did the hip feel the whole way? It just felt a little more. A little more stiff than it did the day before. But, But no pain. No pain, there we go.
1: Okay, four more, let's go.
0: One. Two. Laces out. Last one, last one. All right. You know we're 40, right? You can't win the Aussie Open on a Wednesday in December, but you can sure as hell lose it. (laughs) I mean, doubles is all about being in sync, all about communication, and I think it helps when we're together, doing these workouts on the court, eating meals, we're just becoming more as one, basically. When we go out on tour, we're a two-headed monster, so this is helping bring that twin synchronicity together. Good day. We spend, you know, a lot of time together, and that's what really makes us want to play and and keep doing this in 40s, doing it together and um, sharing these victories. We're still as hungry as ever. We see it as kind of the, the final chapter, rejoining forces and trying to go out on top. You know, we'd love to try to go out holding a big trophy. You know, like I won a couple, but it didn't feel as good as winning it with him, so we want to do it together and uh, have that be our, our swan song.
3: They're basically showing everyone that it doesn't matter. Age is just a number. And for Bob and for Mike, it's just so much of it is up here. Like That's really what it is for them. It's, their mind is incredible.
0: I think I'll come out there with a little extra uh, pep in my step. And, I'll, you know, there might be a new honeymoon period uh, here, here for the Brian
1: So good that they're back in action together.
2: They're, they're my pick for end of the year number one.
1: Are they? Yes. Yeah. My, they are not mine. No, uh, no. I, I I did think about it. I did think yeah. it would be. It's just so good that Bob has come back I know, from the hip great. surgery. They yeah. are playing together. Look, you never have to worry about the connection. They're twins, for heaven's sake. But <laughs> that, uh, and and I've listened to a really interesting podcast with Mike saying, of course we have our up and downs, and we went through a rough patch. And you know, could we go on? And and we've talked about singles players. Thomas Burdick. We didn't talk about Thomas Burdick, who had the six months off with a back problem. And he's come back smiling. He's like, I'm enjoying it. I missed it. I loved it. And maybe a little bit of case with the bride. I know they're twins, but you can even have enough of your twin at some point. And a little bit of time away rehabbing and Mike being very successful with Jack Sock. And maybe it's not a bad thing to have a little bit of a break.
2: No, I mean, sometimes when you have that time off, I mean, for in some instances, unfortunate situations, for because of injury and stuff like that, but it does give you a whole new perspective, and you you realize how much you miss being out there. You realize how much you miss you miss traveling and being at the tournaments and competing, yeah. and um, sometimes it, it it takes something, maybe an unfortunate event like an injury or something that puts you away from the sport to make you realize. How much you miss. Can you get caught up in this world every week? You're going almost through the same thing, just in a different city. And um, so sometimes you kind of lose track of why you're out there doing it. And then when you're away, you realize, you know, how much you love it and how much you miss it.
1: Now, our flights, well, they actually leave fairly soon because we are two of the people on early flights. Yes, we're on early flights. Early flights. You have this weird thing. You. Oh my gosh, I love it. <laughs> it I know what me. you're gonna say. Yeah. So you say it because I'm already lost. Well, I
2: leave. I leave Monday. Well, my flight's not as early as yours, but I leave tomorrow. Ten. Yeah. At eleven in the morning on Monday, the January twenty eighth. But then it's like a fifteen hour flight, and I actually arrive in Los Angeles Monday at six a.m. So I arrive earlier than I left, and I absolutely love
1: it. But it's close to time <laughs> traveling or going back in time. Yes. <laughs> that Jill's gonna. So I leave in a few hours cuz i'm leaving at 6am yeah and i arrive at 6pm roughly yeah back back yeah. home so it's so of, you don't so get to experience
2: it, what i experience it's amazing not, you I'm should not, just
1: come with me to la one time i'm not time traveling but i get back no. the same day which feels like yeah. when you're sort of so far feels away weird, yeah. but overall the two weeks had a lot of cuz you've been doing AO Radio, some, some BBC, and World and Feed, and yeah. some World Feed, yeah. and some ATP, ATP podcasts, so it's a I nice love mix. It. Yeah, it's great. There's been so many talking points here from, from Andy Murray's press conference on the Friday before that everyone was like, wow, yeah, okay, to everything that unfolded, unfolded sorry, in those first few days right through to the end, but it's, uh, it, look, it's over. A lot of the things around us have gone, even since when we started talking down here. You've got your cushions.
2: Well, I'm going to take them
1: upstairs and see if I can take them. <laughs> I okay. really like them. <laughs> uh, and I, I can tell you, there's um in, in the third floor in the cafe area, there's a room with lots of sofas and chairs, and these cushions are scattered everywhere. Jill actually went around the whole room to find the cushions that, that didn't have a mark, that were nice, that were just plump enough. So Jill's, Jill's done her research, and at the start of this podcast, she was actually holding them, like hugging them.
2: They're comfy. But Feel I them. You, they're
1: cushiony. I had to ask you to put them down there because they're not going to go anywhere. We kept an eye on them. So Jill is, well, she's got her cushions. Maybe in a future podcast we will report back as to whether you got them back. Yeah. I don't have any room in the house either. It's and <laughs> no room in your house for two small cushions. Where do you live? <laughs> well, I just
2: I just sold my house a year ago and now I'm living with my boyfriend. But he now it's a small apartment. So most of my stuff's in storage. So, so these th- are probably just going to be added to the storage. They are small. And next stop for you for ATP
1: Tennis Radio is Indian Wells, which is going to be on us in no time. Yes,
2: just about lo- a little bit over a month.
1: We're looking forward to your interviews. I love your interviews. Thank you, Gigi. Nice I, lo-
2: I enjoy it a lot. <laughs> I
1: really enjoy it. So to- I-
2: I'm going to try and make them less than fifteen minutes for Russell.
1: <laughs> no, I think I think our producer, <laughs> a hardworking producer, he loves he loves the long the long interviews. So Jill, just ki- and, and thank you so much your time today thank you I know Gigi. It's, it's all a bit of a rush and it's crazy so thank you for taking the it's time it's fun thank you for having me the podcast will be back the ATP Tennis Radio podcast as always next week but this is it from our time in Melbourne thank you so much for being with us and listening if you'd like a full set of results from all the events one place you can go is the Tennis Mash website keep an eye on everything that's part of Tennis Australia and also throughout the year through Tennis Match if you click on live scores you can listen to live coverage of ATP Tennis Radio we are every day of the master. As events Jill just mentioned should be at Indian Wells finals of 500s we have the next gen finals we've got the world two finals that seems so far away so make sure you listen through that or via ATP Tennis Radio at the various usual outlets the podcast if you don't know by now can also be made available on Spotify or your usual podcast places and if you'd like to leave us a review that's absolutely fantastic but thank you very much for listening um, until next time it's goodbye from Melbourne you <laughs>